The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! You want a podcast? Great. So you have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, is it great to be back with you? It's great to be in South Florida. 12 nights at the Residence Inn and back in Boca Raton. It's Monday, June 29th, 2020. Hell of a year this has been. My God, it's uh, episode 256 of the Anakin Florian podcast. Rocky Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is open. Keep your distance. I see you wearing the letters today, <laughs> kids. See how much Ken Flo smiles when Jiu-Jitsu is like really back in his life? It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely need it in my life, man. Uh, first of all, you and the stash are looking fantastic, my friend. I hey, like thanks, your T-shirt. I haven't seen the purple. I got to get one of those. Yeah, we got the uh, the so, AF monogram. I think Cody Merrill calls this the monogram. We have the logo and then the monogram. So we got the purple T-shirt wearing the mono today. Cody's actually at the controls today, and he's wearing the monogram T-shirt as well. So we appreciate that. Uh, com. if you would like to get in on the merchandise. But uh, so how was it open in the school? I mean, was it a little bit weird those first few days? It, it was a little bit weird. You know, people were a little hesitant. We, we have continued to kind of keep things at a slower pace. We do, um, you know, much shorter classes. We're taking everybody's temperature as they walk in. Yeah. Um, you know, all, all these different things. So much shorter classes. You only get one training partner. Uh, people are starting to kind of get back into it and are starting to request more availability for classes. We're still right. just doing, you know, just a couple offerings at night. But um you know, we, we want to wait for these numbers to go down a little bit more sure, before we sure. get back to business as sure. usual, you know? Yeah. Florida smoking right now with COVID-19. Yeah. I'd be that guy showing up to Meraki BJJ, like hoping to pop a fever so I could go home and not get my ass kicked. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, if we're being honest. Right. I mean, there were always those things at summer camp that I had to go do that were a little out of my comfort zone. You know, it's like, all right, John, period six, it's riflery. You don't look like you know how to handle a gun, but uh, you got to get up there, son. All right. <laughs> So uh, a lot to get to. Uh, I got a quick turn to uh, Fight Island, Abu Dhabi. I'm actually flying to Vegas Sunday, and I will quarantine in Vegas for 36 hours. I'll take a COVID test and then chartering to uh, Fight Island. But a lot to recap. We don't have a show to preview because the UFC is dark on July 4th. I know the staff is probably thankful for that. Um, but a lot to get to, of course, Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker turn in potentially the fight of the year, Ken Flo. So we will begin headlines with that. Dustin the Diamond Poirier by unanimous decision. I thought he was the winner of what was a close fight, at least statistically. The numbers are pretty historic. Uh, 390 strikes landed. That is a UFC lightweight record. Poirier landed 76% of his strikes, Ken Flo, in moving into to a tie for eighth on the all-time UFC wins list with number 18. Uh, and if people were questioning me, calling him a legend coming in, this certainly adds to the resume. Your thoughts on the main event, Kit? Um, you know, I, I don't always love talking about the numbers, but how can you ignore these amazing numbers, especially given the fact that Poirier threw so many strikes and to have that level of accuracy and to land that many significant strikes. And by the way, Hooker did as well. Yeah, um, it, it's no wonder it was one of the best fights I've ever seen. Uh, both those guys in their prime really showed up. Um, the momentum shifts, the drama, the knockdowns, the the close submissions by Poirier. Uh, you know the bloodiness, the aggressiveness, and again the technique demonstrated by both guys in all aspects of the game. I think defense might have been lacking, of of course, but right. as far as high level MMA, that's as good as it gets guys I mean so a lot of times you see these fights that are you know back and forth and bloody wars but they're not very technical these were two guys that were really on top of their game that were very sharp uh, and, and Poirier just showed that he has next level toughness and again Hooker does as well. He is as tough as they come. Yeah. Poirier, just a little tougher, man. The fact that he was out there, you know, telling Hooker, let's go, bring it. Come yeah. on, you know, this yeah. is what you want. Let's go. He just, he's got that dog in him, man. And really does. Uh, again, Poirier is an absolute legend, man. What a stud. I was just blown away by his performance. He might've had a mild concussion if you, at the end of that second round with that knee, as he sort of alluded to in our post-fight interview. Yeah, but next level toughness on both sides. I want to spend a minute on Dan Hooker because even though these guys are pretty similar in age, I think Dan Hooker certainly has less miles on the tank. He was 10 and four when he made his UFC debut. Now he's 10 and five in the UFC, but seven and two at 155. Obviously the toughness is there, right? He's had two absolute main event wars back to back with Paul Felder and Dustin Poirier. And 
Hooker sort of intimated to us, Kenny, that if this Poirier fight had happened May 16th, right, given how tough the Felder fight was, that might have been pretty consequential, right, in, in the worst of ways. And I do believe that for Hooker to turn around after that Felder fight in, in late, late February and go through another war is not going to do anything for his longevity. But I, I really like this kid. He's a thoughtful fighter. He's a true martial artist. And uh, I guess I'm just curious how you feel about Hooker overall, because some will say there are levels to this game. And I do think he's a, a little bit below Dustin Poirier, but I do think there, there's a, a high ceiling and potentially a championship ceiling for a guy like Hooker. Without a doubt. Now, listen, and uh, you kind of mentioned it. Assuming he hasn't taken the kind of damage that is going to diminish his ability to improve in the future, you got to believe he will get better. Anytime I felt like when, when I fought a five round fight, I felt like I got like three to five uh, fights worth of experience yeah. out of that, out of that. And I think hooker will as well going in there, experiencing 25 hard minutes against one of the best in the world at Dustin Poirier. You're going to learn a lot, especially when you, when you have the kind of corner and kind of team behind him, uh, like hooker does. So, um, I, I think he'll come back stronger. There's no doubt about it. I thought this was a sharpness um, and a level of technique that I thought was higher than his fight against Felder. I thought Hooker was definitely looking yeah. better than he did in his last fight against Felder. Um, but he did fade a little bit. I don't know if it was maybe him fading as much as Poirier putting his foot to the pedal uh, and stepping on the gas in that third, fourth, and fifth rounds, just showing there are levels to this game. But Hooker's going to understand after that experience against Poirier that he either he's got to be more efficient, he's got to get better defensively, or he's just got to get better in shape or all three. And, and, and those are the right. kind of things that you're almost waiting for in your experiences in the UFC. Um, if you are a martial artist, those are the things that you want to find out. What do I need to do to improve? You face the best guys in the world to get those answers. Yeah. And I think you're right. At least part of what you were saying about the defensive shortcomings, maybe leading to some of that cardio abandonment. It was all heart with hooker. I mean, he was yeah. done after four and that fifth round was truly all heart and just such a classy guy. Who, you know, and I know people don't like some things he says, you know, but he truly is not here to touch gloves loves with Paul Felder or make friends like he's trying to support right. his daughter Zoe and his family and get the big fights and candidly every big name he's called for he's essentially been able to fight so he, there's a real good guy in there he goes to the uh, interview zone and sits down and it was like he was waiting for his win to come back to give us an interview and it just didn't didn't come back by the time Poirier got out there and that's why we didn't speak to him so and listen and every time he asks for these fights he's proving that he deserves that shot it, right. it's not like he's getting blown out of the water here I had him winning uh, you know, the early part of that fight against Dustin Poirier. Uh, and I think with some little adjustments, he could have won the fight. I think the difference was just that insane toughness, extra bit of toughness from Poirier and, and the experience of Poirier. This is a guy who has also, we got to talk about his improvements on what he's shown from coming to one from 145 and that experience against Conor McGregor to where he is now. Um, the way that he shifts his stances when he comes forward, where he's essentially landing a hard cross every step he takes is a very difficult thing for guys to kind of judge distance wise. Mm -hmm. And that was catching poor. Uh, that was catching hooker off guard repeatedly. Uh, just again, both those guys are studs, but Poirier just a little bit too much. A lot of people deserve credit on the Poirier side. It's truly team Poirier. Mike Brown gets a bulk of it, but Dia Davis, his boxing coach at the Boca boxing district down here in South Florida, those two are pretty potent one, two punch. And, and I think Davis deserves a lot of credit. So yes putting Poirier's UFC body of work into context. Okay. Certainly some people will point to losses against Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov, right? But this win in terms of what it does to bolster what I think is closing in on a hall of fame legacy can't be overstated. Donald Cowboy Cerrone has 23 wins. He is widely regarded as a future hall of famer. He's the all time wins leader in the UFC, but here's Poirier now top eight all time, only five behind Kenny. And when you look at his wins list next to Cowboys, Max Holloway times two, Anthony Pettis, Justin Gaethje, Eddie Alvarez, and now a prime and primal Dan Hooker. And I'm leaving a lot of those wins out. I mean, for me, this is quite the legacy, even if interim is the only belt that the kid has at home. Uh, he gets my vote for for Hall of Famer. And you look at um, his lack of losses compared to Donald Cerrone. Right, I mean, right. that is significant as well. Uh, the, the level of competition, uh, the fact that he's been extremely consistent throughout his career in two divisions. Um, I, again, just could be more impressed by, by that kid. 
So you may have heard us talk about the hip surgery for Poirier on the broadcast. So this was pretty invasive, right? They had to microfracture his femur. He's still not pain-free in the hip, right? When you talk to a guy post-surgery, it seems like those conversations go one of two ways. And I have experience with, with this because we do the fighter meetings, and most of these guys who have surgeries, they either say, my shoulder feels fucking brand new, bro. You won't even believe it. Or they right. say, eh, wasn't, wasn't necessarily thrilled with the result on the other side. And so – what I was getting from Dustin was that he's not pain-free. So the hip is still a factor. Tony Ferguson, of course, is on the men. Poirier seems to want to take the rest of the year off. Uh, but, Kenny, what do you think for Dustin as we try to spin it forward? I mean, do you think it's Conor McGregor? Do you think it's Tony Ferguson? Is it just getting healthy and waiting to see if Gaethje can potentially beat Khabib since you got a head-to-head win over Gaethje? I mean, what do you think might be next for Dustin Poirier? There's certainly a lot, certainly a lot of great options for him moving forward. Um, I think – if I was Dustin Poirier, I would definitely be looking for a Conor McGregor uh, rematch. Obviously, right. that's the most amount of money you can make. However, um, I, I like that Tony Ferguson fight. I think that's a fight that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think the fans would go absolutely ballistic for that one. Yeah. I do think that Dustin Poirier should take his time uh, before he does come back. Obviously, dealing with that surgery and having that kind of war against Dan Hooker, um, I, I think we would see a an even sharper and better Dustin Poirier if he did take that, that time off. It's especially when he's going to face a guy like a Tony Ferguson who is very much cut from that cloth and, and could match uh, his oh, toughness. God. I mean, that, that is a pay-per-view main event. Oh, I don't yeah. care if there's a belt on the line or not. Right. That fight is just ridiculous. I, I have chills thinking yeah. about yeah. it. Uh, but I mean, a lot of options when, when you're kicking ass like Dustin Poirier, I mean, oh, yeah. whatever you want right. to do. Of course. Now, if you're Poirier's daughter or Ferguson's son and you were old enough, <laughs> to tell your parents to not fight each other. You probably would have that advice. <laughs> exactly. because, holy shit, is that a violent matchup? So, yeah. all right, well, we congratulate Dustin Poirier, one of the all-time good guys. And, uh, of course, many of you saw we surprised him with the Forrest Griffin Community Award on UFC Live on Friday. So a big week for uh, awesome. the Good Fight Foundation and for Dustin Poirier. It was a big weekend for Latori Gonzalez and Platinum Mike Perry as well, Ken Flo, a unanimous decision win over Mickey Gall. And we've all been texting in our little podcast chat, so I'm going to try not to be too repetitive here uh but i do think mike pulled the wool over people's eyes a little bit cardiovascularly he was in great shape he was conditioned uh he also even though he likes to be the drunken style boxer uh as he writes on his ufc bio uh but he knows how to fight you know he knew how mickey gall was going to fight him and uh I do believe that his preparation had more meat to it than he wanted to let on. And uh, I thought he looked as good as ever, even if you want to say Mickey Gall was uh, grossly outmatched. Coach Gonzalez, 1-0. and <laughs> Let's go. Uh, you know, listen, I think that uh, Mike Perry absolutely did do that. Uh, I think he was kind of making a bigger deal about it. Um, and I thought Mickey Gall took him way too lightly or perhaps, you know, thought he was going to run right through him. You're not going to run right through Mike Perry. That guy hits way too hard and he's got a lot of experience for you to think that you're just going to walk through some guy like that. Um, it, it's why I picked him. Um, you know, Mickey Gall has a knack for kind of getting hit out there and kind of brawling a little bit. Uh, but more impressively, I thought Mike Perry, the way he was mixing things up, he was mixing in the takedowns. Everyone was talking about how Mickey Gall had the better ground game. Uh, you know, when you're getting taken down, getting your guard passed and mounted like that, right. um, I, I think Mickey Gall is going to have to go back to the drawing board uh, in more ways than one. Um, Mike Perry looked great overall. I think he looked a little bit like uh, he was kind of trying to figure out uh, Mickey Gall a little bit in that first round. But once he felt comfortable, uh, I thought he just really took over in those second and third rounds uh, and, and dominated him. Um, and, and again, it's that much more impressive considering he didn't have a, a full camp and probably had limited access to training partners and all that stuff. So I'm curious to see which team he's going to pick after all this. Um, you know, I, it seems like he's obviously been having some issues with his coaches and training yeah. and, you know, paying coaches and all that stuff and maybe some financial issues. I hope he rectifies that. Um, you know, whatever you think about Mike Perry, uh, you got to appreciate, um, you know, his heart, his determination, his love for the game. And, and, um, you know, I, I hope he, he finds the right coaches and the right match. That's going to help him get better as a fighter. And Kenny, not only does he have a big fan following, but he really seems to have the support of a lot of high profile fighters on this roster. 
Francis Ngannou, Tyron Woodley, Dean Thomas, among many people who have reached out willing to to coach this guy and help this guy. And he wants to work with Yoel Romero. I do think that there's some instability issues with Mike Perry that for a big camp like American Top Team, they're going to have to deal with that, right, if he wants to, you know, become one of them per se. But I just think he has a lot to offer, and I do think with the right coaches um, – he can really compete with the top 15. I mean, if Luke is top 15, I thought he beat that guy, you know? Yeah. Listen, he's, he's extremely tough and he's always going to entertain the fans. I think the key for him is getting the right matchups, getting the right fights, understanding who Mike Perry is and what he brings to the table uh, and matching him up appropriately. I, I think that's going to be the key for him um, and kind of build him back up. Now that he has this win over Mickey Gall, it's like, how do you identify those guys that are going to give him the right experience and give him the right fight so he can move his way back up that division? Right. And in terms of the post-fight interview, uh, I'm with the guy when it comes to this post-tax income, right? I mean, if you just take his statement at its core, and I think a lot of us, certainly us north of 40 here, understand how to pay our taxes and what goes into it. But wouldn't it be nice, right, if if you just give me what I can spend, right? Don't ask for it back. That's all the man's saying. It's pretty simple. Absolutely. First of all, the the interview was legendary. One of the best interviews I've ever seen. And and I love the way you kind of just let him rip. Uh, You gave him the freedom to do so. So uh, kudos on that. Brilliant. Uh, But, you know, it it really was this heartfelt kind of interview where you felt him like you felt for him, especially as a fighter. I've been there where all of a sudden I made more money than I ever made in my life. And all of a sudden I go, Oh, geez. Well, I guess I got to pay the government after that. You don't realize that sometimes, which is crazy. And uh, here's the only thing I would tell Mike Perry, get a financial advisor or someone you absolutely trust, put that money away and try not to ball, try not to ball like a normal Mike Perry. Just be a little bit conservative, man. You, you, you could only make that money for so long, Mike. You're a talented dude. Uh, make that money, man. Have fun, but be smart about it. That's all. One other thing just on Mike Perry from a technical standpoint, Kenny, he said that he was sparring a lot less and he had these big twins. I want to find out their names. I think Chad Smith, if I'm not mistaken, but because Zach Smith. So the two twins from Texas, Mike didn't want to talk a lot about it, but Zach Smith and his twin brother, these guys have trained with John Jones and they were the bodies that Mike Perry predominantly used. But Kenny, he said he was so hungry for combat because he only sparred like twice a month. And certainly if it was a different opponent than Mickey, Gall, a strike heavy opponent, you know, maybe twice a month in terms of speed and timing and everything else and feeling strikes wouldn't have been ideal. But I thought that was interesting hearing a fighter say he was he had more of an appetite for combat because he wasn't going through these hard sparring sessions. Uh, I will say this. I think timing wise, it probably took Mike Perry a little bit longer to kind of warm up and get things going against Mickey Gall. However, I, I think that when you get a guy who has that tendency of brawling in his fights and most likely brawling during sparring, I would assume um, that's going to save his brain and save his body so he can have that for fight night. And, and I think that's really important in the beginning of my career. I sparred maybe every day, not, not saying I would brawl and go crazy. Right. I never had right. that style, but I would spar a lot as I got further in my career and I got more experience. I definitely would reduce the amount of sparring sessions. I just didn't need to do that all the time. Right. Um, so I, I think that was probably a good choice for someone like Meg Perry uh, with, with the amount of miles that he's had, the amount of wars that he's had. Yeah. Um, and I think it served him well. It's going to be interesting to see where he lands because Julian Williams and Fusion XL, they they worked pretty well with him and, and he was drawing high praise for his coachability and his grappling improvements. So uh, it's going to be interesting if he aligns with a world-class camp and tries to really do that consistently to see how far he can potentially take this thing. All right, we'll have plenty more on uh, UFC Fight Night Poirier versus Hooker coming up with Ray Longo, but I do just want to say here in our opening segment, we talked a little bit about Josh Emmett and some of his uh, unhappiness with maybe the promotion and the media last week. I just want to let people know that Josh and I have uh, hammered it out privately. He reached out and apologized. I apologize for maybe being a touch too sensitive, but the guy's just total class to reach out to me privately in the manner in which he did and acknowledge that his criticism wasn't really being levied at the commentators as much as it was maybe some other members of the media. So we uh, truly appreciate that and wanted to acknowledge that off the top. We'll get to the poll question later in the show. We ask you on social media of the three betting underdogs in the title fights at UFC 251, Max Holloway, Gilbert Durino Burns and Jose Aldo, all similarly priced which underdog has the best chance to win. So we'll get to those results with Ian Parker later in the program, but it is time for the parade man, the Ray Longo minute. 
now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. All right, we are now joined by Ray Longo, who is so gracious to break off some time for us today. You must not have a parade schedule. I'm <laughs> <laughs> about a bang, John. So, uh, John, so, I, I might not be able to do this interview. Kenny, I can't get my eyes off his mustache. I, 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 might, I might actually self-destruct on this interview. <laughs> you know, it's Seriously. interesting. Holy the, uh, shit. Were you a big Freddie Mercury fan, Greg? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's Godfly inspired, Longo. Come on. Gosh, people making a big deal about a mustache. I mean, if this was 1988, this this certainly wouldn't be a a point of conversation. Is that what you want to talk about? The mustache? Magnum P.I. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, I think the mustache will be coming with me to Abu Dhabi, but uh, we'll just have (laughs) to see about that. It's going to have its own suitcase, I assume. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh. So Marab Dwalish Willie and Aljamain Sterling get these great parades with poster board and a, and a line of cars and and John Volante gets Chris Weidman and Ally Quinta on a tricycle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was brilliant, by the way. So good. Uh, you, you're the man. How appropriate. That was perfect. It was perfect. Uh, so I that was his, fun. I got his favorite people for the parade. What else can I do? It was perfect. Show him just a little love. Just a little. I think like a half a million people ended up seeing that little parade route. So obviously it was effective. Uh, and John Volante was pretty effective in the UFC heavyweight debut, right? Uh, I know as Ken Flo was saying offline, certainly paced himself and then got choked out in a position that I think surprised a lot of people. But what were your thoughts on, on your guy Volante there at heavyweight? Uh, well, let me just say this before we start. I'm going to say he's the only guy that I'll take my shirt off in front of. <laughs> I don't know if right. that makes <laughs> any sense to anybody, <laughs> but uh, I feel very secure walking around with my shirt off. With yeah, him. yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'd go yeah, skin Yeah, no, skin. listen, he was throwing fire, man. He was going to win that fight. Uh, I guess it was really just exhaustion. You know, the guy could have mounted. I mean, I don't know. There was a lot of things missing, but he did hit him with a nice left hook off of that Superman punch, and uh, he put the guy down. And, and I'll tell you what, you did see a different Volante when he heard him he did get excited. He threw. He he definitely had some decent ground and pound, but you know when your cardio is not there, it just it, it kind of sucks. And I don't know if the pandemic hurt him or what hurt him or the extra. Well, the extra weight I mean, it didn't look good, so I would say that had something to do with it. But he did show us. You know he could have ended that. That fight could have ended, and he would have been a hero. You know what I mean? So it kind of sucks that it went out that way, but it looked like it was just pure exhaustion to me. You know, he had a head and arm choke, I guess. And it's yeah. tough to finish from the bottom. Um, I don't know. I'm not a jujitsu guy, but it didn't look, uh, Ken I, I Flo think is. Ken Flo, what do you got? Yeah, Kenny, are you, <laughs> no, you it, really it, in. I, I think it, I think it was a legit, a legitimate choke. He just ended up in the wrong position at the wrong time. And you know, he, he, he wasn't seeing it uh, being set up green tried maybe two times before that to try to get it going. But it's such a strong wedge that once you get it in from almost any position, it's definitely going to do damage as far as a choke is concerned and it will put you to sleep. But Ray, I wanted to ask you, is there anything that, you know, you saw in there that indicates that he's either going to go back down to 205 or, or will stay at heavyweight. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? I think just looking at it, it's obviously it's not my decision, but I'd like to see, he's not going to go back to 205. I don't believe, but I'd no. like to see a better, I'd like to see a 245 right. Volante in shape. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. Or a right. 240. Because he's a big kid, you could see Green a huge size advantage. Yes, and it didn't bother him. I mean, the guy's got a—he's got a great chin. He throws hard. He's just got to be a little more—you know—he's got to be a little more active. You know, he can't just—he was plodding around, but he was carrying a lot of weight. I mean, two fifty-five is fifty pounds heavier than his last fight. It's crazy. Right. And he's well, fast right. for the division. He's—he's—he's he's a, he's a good athlete. You could see that. Yeah. And if he could bring that athleticism, be in better shape, yes. uh, he could definitely do some damage at heavyweight. So, I mean, I would just like to see him make the commitment to, to do exactly what you just said. Get back to, yeah. you know, let's try to make a go get, get back to Volante on the gridiron. You know what I mean? And just get yeah, 240 in shape, throwing heat like that. Yeah. I, I'll tell you what, you never know. But I don't think he's going to 205. But again, yeah. I'm not his coach, so right. I don't know. And, uh, you know, listen, it was a heartbreaker because I, I really thought he was winning that fight. And it was everybody was pulling for that kid. Everybody loves him. 
but he's got to love himself and he's got to really, really make a decision as to what he wants to do. But I thought he showed signs of something that was possibly pretty good moving forward. So yeah, it's been a tough couple years. His last fight was early 2019. He got pneumonia like seven times between that fight and this fight. He has pretty serious asthma. He had a bacterial infection. He became a father for the first time in December. I know this sounds like excuses, but you're right, Ray. If he weighs 240 pounds like he did when he was murdering people on the gridiron as a senior yeah. at Hofstra, he's a real problem. This is one of the best football players to ever grace the octagon. Truly oh, is. Yeah. I mean, Eric Anders has the national championship, but this yeah. dude was like a five-star recruit. He was a true All-American. Excuse me. He was an All-American as a true freshman. Uh, you, wow. Kenny, you're right. There is no doubt that if he can unleash this athlete, even though he's 35, that he can be a relevant heavyweight for sure. Yeah, yeah he's he's got to believe it himself. I mean, I think that's the thing, knowing him. Uh, and I tell you, he's really embracing fatherhood beautifully. He's, he's just a good dude, and people really want to see him do good, but he's really – now got to put in the right effort if he wants to do anything if you know he's got to really put in a a really solid effort and uh and i'm gonna say probably more mentally than even physically and even though that sounds crazy but i'd love to see that guy just do a complete turnaround because he is tough as nails man and you know like again under look at look at the size difference and like you say he was smashing those leg kicks he was shifting that guy all over the place right and uh you know, whatever, man. I thought he was on his way. Everybody was happy. He's just, uh, he, he's a heartbreaker. You know what I mean? It just, it's, it stinks because, trust me, everybody loves that guy, and it just that that part sucks. But it is what it is, and until he really makes the decision himself, uh, it's going to be a tough road. What do you think of Platinum Mike Perry? I'm all in. Well, I mean, I am all. Fucking well, let me in. tell you something. The best interview ever. Every, <laughs> you know, Kenny. Kenny reminded me of Boogie Nights. No, no, I get the money, then I give you the money, and then you give him the no, no. I mean, what what is the I I I texted John. I go, man, I I really believe those IRS negotiations are going to go really good for him. Like, imagine him sitting down with the auditor. What are you talking about? You gave me the money. I got to give you the money. Exactly. Yeah. I think I like where he's coming from. Yeah. Give me the money, I spend it. That's it. End right. of story. And uh, if you are talking, Ray, with a minimum of one fight, his chief corner, Latori Gonzalez, has as high a winning percentage in the UFC this year as any head coach out there. So, Well, I think Al Iaquinta's got to beat. Iaquinta's got to He's 2-0, 3-0. Two two oh, oh, what is he? 2-3-0. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess that's different people, though. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, she did, listen, she did a fantastic job. She really did. She put the ice on his back and she gave yeah. him words of encouragement. Listen, for a guy like that, you know what he's going to do. I don't think there's much change in his game plan. Right, right. You know what I mean? Think about it. So for well, him, and, it kind of makes sense. And he, as he mentioned, he studied Mickey Gall. He felt like he knew what he needed to do in certain situations. And uh, he was far more conditioned, as I said to Kenny, than he wanted to let anyone know, Flo. I'm being serious here, but imagine as a fighter running your own camp, you're your own coach. You only bring in one corner person who is your girlfriend. I mean, like literally the confidence that he must get coming off of this fight, managing his own camp, his own fight. Yeah. Like it's all, it should only get better from here on out. Right. You'd yeah. assume. Yeah, Kenny, I'm going out on a limb, but I'm saying even when he had a coach, he was running his own. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think that's what we were. I think that's exactly what we saw. You're right. I think right. that's the problem. So okay. Yeah, yeah. I think he was point. in the same boat he was in, no matter who was there. It's <laughs> uh, amazing. But, but so, hats off to him. He, he did fight a great fight. And I got to tell you, I think he's another guy that when he tells you something, he's pretty honest. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I, he didn't even. If you even noticed when they were asking about his girlfriend again, he was saying, look, I'm looking for a team. Yes, he, yeah. he, could, he wasn't even guaranteeing she's going to be there. You know what I right, mean? He, right, right, right. That guy's a for real dude for for sure. So you have to love him for that. But, man, I get a kick out of some of those guys. When, when you really get inside their brain and hear what's going on, it's funny. That IRS thing killed me. I thought well, it was great. And with all respect to Mickey Gall, who I really appreciate as a human being, and I hope he makes the the necessary developments as a fighter. Uh, but I think if Mike Perry is fighting somebody in the top 10, uh, he's going to have a head coach in there. And he intimated, Kenny, to your point that Latorre Gonzalez is probably not going to be in his corner for his yeah, next fight. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. so he, did, he was uh, honest. I thought he yeah. was very honest. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see if he ends up with uh, Ray Longo in Garden City. But I think he wants somewhere where he can go to a beach and uh, – 
and drink a Mai Tai, and I don't know that it qualifies up there many months a year. So he certainly got the toughness, man. So uh, now is not the time to have the fight of the year conversation, and I do believe in December most, pe- most people are going to land on Zhang Wei Lee versus Ioana Jacek. But uh, Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker, Ray, what would you think of that main event? That will keep you up on the East Coast, huh? Wow, I got to tell you, man, I came out of my skin. Look, I'm saying I'm not going fight of the year, but I'll tell you one thing. Round two, 100% round of the Round year. of the year. I, I think agree. that's a lock. I think that's a lock. But the fight of the year, I think Joanna's fight, because it was – back and forth for five rounds makes that that's where I'm looking at. Like, I agree. Hooker really just faded in four and five. So, but round two round of the year, I put that pretty, not, not up there with like a uh, Hagler against Hearns, but it was pretty fucking close. Well, well, the, well yeah. I think that's what made the fight so interesting too, was that round two. Cause you're watching round two and you go, there's no way, there's no way this thing goes to decision. One of these guys are getting finished. There's no yeah. doubt about it. And you see it go five rounds and you're, yeah, it was right. unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I just think for fight of the year, like fight, it had to be five solid rounds. And I think, like again, I, look, Poria. I got to tell you, man, I really gained a lot of respect for him, man. He really remained calm under pressure. This is the difference in the fight to me. He was able to just roll with that shit and act like nothing was going on and come back where, as the other guy was wearing that stuff on his face for sure. I mean, he took some huge body shots in the second round. Like, he's not going to make it. He's going to end this fight. I really thought Hooker was going to win the fight at that point in time. And the fact that he was able to come back and, again, nonchalant in the corner, having a good time, looked like he was with it. He, he, you know, he was very coherent. I thought he did a fantastic job against the cage of just weathering that storm and was able to come back with big shots to me is the difference in the fight. It the really diamond, the diamond nickname is appropriate. No doubt yeah. about it. And those body shots were brutal. I, uh, you know, hook is a tough guy. Look, three round fight. He wins, but it looks like the five rounds, the last couple of fights is killing him because he took his Felder came back. He Felder could have eased. I don't even know if I think I had Felder win in that fight, but a three round fight, he's really tough, but five yeah. rounds looks like he's, I thought, Look, I picked Hooker to win based on I thought he was going to correct the endurance thing for the last couple of rounds. Like, if he could have kept up that pace, even 50% of that, yeah. he would have won that fight. But he right. couldn't. And, he, well, and that was the difference to me. You know, I thought yeah. he was going to make the adjustment off the Felder fight, but maybe it was too quick, you know, turnaround. I don't yes. know. And I do agree that the Hooker fade probably prevents it from being the fight of the year yeah. for me. But round but, of the year, John, but I, I'm telling you. I agree. Unbelievable. Yeah. No, I think I articulated as much on the broadcast. That's the best singular round I think I have seen all year, unless you like Without a doubt. Without a doubt. What what Hooker, I do believe, though, that him eating all those big shots, Ray, was a byproduct of the cardio fade. You know, I just think he ate too many huge fucking shots, you know? Because if you even look, uh, John, you know, his range in the first couple of rounds was perfect. And then you start you started seeing that range, or if you want to call it distance management, whatever you want to call it, it just started to get closer and closer. He couldn't hold it, and it afforded the other guy to get be able to get off big shots. And like you say, he just couldn't deal with it. And that was that was it. If he could hold that range, because he look at the size difference. Oh, I mean, come on. I I mean, my my really hats off to Dustin Poirier, man. I mean, he seems like a great guy. I don't know him. Yeah, but I, I tell you, I, I respect-wise, based on that fight, went up a lot, man. I thought oh, he did a great man. job. He's he the really man. seems like a good guy. He's got a lot of good causes, stands for the right shit. Hats off to that guy, man. And then Hooker, tough as a motherfucker for sure. But you know, he's got to correct that the cardio problem in those type of fights where there's an early, you know, output like that. So uh, before we let you go. What can you tell us about your future? Uh, Paul Felder, it looks like, just pushed out a tweet uh, saying that, you know, he was motivated to come out of retirement by Poirier and Hooker. Um, but for now, Fight Island awaits, to which Raging Ally Quinta responded. And Cody Mero, I hope I'm getting this right. But Ally Quinta responded, well, I agreed to fight you August 15th. So it seems as though... Al was offered a fight against Felder August 15th, but Paul will be going to Fight Island and therefore not accepting that fight. But do you know uh, when you are leaving New York to either do something or corner a fighter, or is it status quo on your end? Man, I got to tell you, I'm really 
leaning. I bet this is. I'm just so fucking confused. It's you know. I, I got. I have to stay off the television. That's the first thing. Because I every time I watch the news, I go. I'm I'm, I'm swinging from side to side. But I want to go for Weidman's fight August eighth. Okay. Um. So I think if that's the case, I'll get tested here. I want to just know I'm good. I don't want to get stuck in Vegas for two right. weeks. Right. You know, Rob. Yeah. You know, for, you know, Frivola, when I talked to him, he was driving back to Florida 37 hours. See? He wouldn't let him fly. So that's See? crazy. You know what I mean? So yeah. I mean, this, this thing is getting weird to me, man. I, I like, again, I don't even know if anybody else is feeling it, but, you know, they're not opening the beaches here on 4th of July. This is, it's a year of your life almost. This is crazy. It, well, right? and it could go deep into 2021. And I know a lot of our audience didn't tune in for this, but it's amazing the range of respect for this virus, right? Some people just yeah. have no respect for it at all. And some people are doing what the government is telling us to do. But uh, Pahumpa is stuck in Vegas until July 9th quarantining. You know, this shit wow. is real. Yeah, and yeah. again, yeah. I think for a lot of us going to fight island my biggest concern is that i'm going to get stuck in the middle east away from my family for without a, a doubt and, so, I, and i can't afford to do that right now right of you course I mean? that would be a disaster plus john we, we've been in for so long now yeah i don't think if i could last two weeks in my house with all the amenities that i have you want to stick me in the right, room? Right. I, might, I might crack completely so i don't know uh, yeah right. right my original thought is i'm going but i i don't know that could that could change man yeah i don't know i just you know i want to be there it, it kind of sucks for me because I'm it's I'm being it's not you know, it's not my own decision. Like, right. You know what I'm saying? Like of I'm course. being forced into some decisions that that was never the way I ran my life. And it kind of kind of sucks, man. Right. I'm trying to do the right thing. I, I don't know. So my I, I'm running around in circles. I, I don't know. But I in my head, I want to be there August 8th for, for Chris. And if Al fights August 15th, 100 percent. So I got some big decisions to make. I don't even know. Who, at this point, I don't even know if they want me there. But <laughs> of course they want you there. I, hey, I, last thing, I need last thing I'll say. Last like, thing I'll say, because I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So I took a COVID-19 test Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern. OK, 5 Pacific. I got my results back at about 2 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. OK, so here we are Monday, right? About 48 hours later. So my mom ain't coming near me. Right. She's almost 70. Ain't coming near me or my kids because I was on a plane good the day you. after That's with a mask good. on the whole time. Right. And good I agree with her decision. 100%, right. Yeah. But I did get tested and I was negative, And yet out of an abundance of caution, she's coming nowhere near my kids. When I leave here and finish the podcast, I will have a mask on downstairs. And I didn't take a test when I got home because I got to turn around and go back to Vegas in a few days. But it's uh, but it's a real thing, man. Uh, are there real, any real, studies? Real, real, are there any studies with the stash being able yeah. to defend yeah. against COVID nineteen? No, is there anything it where it catches it. the germ? It, it, it catches, catches the germ, and then the stash kills the COVID. You know what? That that day that that catches me. I mean, that, that <laughs> to the COVID is like a catches me, Kenny. Exactly. It's Thurman Munson. John's right ahead of the curve yeah. up yeah. here. Yes. Yep. Who was the who was the catcher for Boston in the eighties? Uh, Rich Gedman. No, number what? ten in your program, number one. Oh, you're talking about Carlton Fisk, the 1970s. The Fisk, I think, yeah, yeah. Fisk, Fisk and that's, a, that's, a, that's like that's like a catcher's mitt for COVID. <laughs> Look at it, they're looking at him. But uh, yeah. listen, the problem with with I'm I'm happy that your mother do do the right thing because right. you could be asymptomatic too and. You might have tested negative then, but in a week, yeah. it, that, this is the crazy part. I can't so keep up, Ray. I can't, I, I I can't know keep the up. Science, the science and you know changes. What? Kenny, I'm already dropping my guard, and I'm not happy about it because I, I just – yeah. I don't know what yeah. I got. to I got to regroup. Well, no, full disclosure. I did go out to eat with Michael Bisping and Domina Cruz and we, we were careful, but, uh, I hadn't been to a restaurant in a while. And I just said, I didn't say fuck it, but, uh, I just said, you know what? I've been at the residence in, I've got 13 Grubhub orders in the last 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to yeah, go. I went to a restaurant the other day and I ate my, I had gloves on. I ate my food with my hand because I didn't want to touch the forks and knives. Yeah, People right. thought I was weird. Yeah. Hey, whatever and it, it was, takes. And it was actually Go really sharing French the, fries with Bisping, John, by the yeah, way. I know. And I know. It, it was tough getting the food through the mask, too. That wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah. I've tried to drink coffee through a mask. Uh, it didn't end well. Oh, I'm getting a text from my mom right now. She wants to know if uh, if Ray Long goes single. No, mom. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Imagine hey. if you got a haircut. It'd be all over. Oh, all right. I know. Here, see? So uh, can you put that in a bun yet? Can you put that in a ponytail yet? Yes. I don't know. I don't know what I'm. We got to do it, Ray. Come on. Hey, listen. Let's keep it on your mustache. Let me leave my hair alone. <laughs> we, 
There's a new sheriff in town, and it's John Anik's mustache, not my hair. Just a little rat tail from the 80s, Ray. At I least might do some... a rat tail. I okay, think I'm going to do a rat tail. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, we'll see you uh, August 8th in Vegas, and, and we'll talk to you next Monday, my man. All right? Awesome. Guys, always great, man. You make my day. Yeah, I realize, man, guys. seriously, the great Ray Longo every Monday here on the Anakin Florian podcast. What a good egg that guy is. What a good egg. I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life. It was a good one putting him on the podcast uh, beginning with episode one. All right, listen up, folks. Today we have a new Manscaped product alert. Manscaped just released the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. Take a look in the mirror. I guarantee you'll see hair sticking out of those holes. It's time to keep your ear and nose hair looking as nice as your clean-shaven area down there. Well-documented on this program, Ken Flo and I both had our noses waxed. We're not afraid to admit that. It's not pleasant. Feels like they're ripping your nose off your face, but Manscaped changing the grooming game once again with this weed whacker, just like the lawnmower. Proprietary skin safe technology helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. Intelligent contour design enhances the trimming experience. It's also waterproof, which makes for easy operation and cleaning. Manscaped making whacking your weeds a time to look forward to, delivering maximum confidence while also providing hygiene. And guys, 79% of partners polled admitted that long nose hair is a major turnoff. It's time to upgrade your Manscaped routine with the weed whacker and for listeners of the Anakin Florian, Florian podcast get 20% off and free shipping with the code AF at manscaped.com right now again listeners of the Anakin Florian podcast 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com the code is AF what are you waiting for go whack your weeds it's the main event challenge Anakin the time is most definitely Florian I finished fights to win the main event challenge the john anik and kenny florian podcast all right well we kind of said we might be dark this week with our producer tj DeSantis not available but cody Mero has taken the reins and we wanted to uh to bring on the duck at ian parker mma on social media it's good to see you my man yeah listen i i don't when you said go dark i was upset i can't go a week without seeing both of you guys and i almost <laughs> i almost cried a little and then i got that text this morning i was like monday yes <laughs> let's good. go <laughs> All right. So a lot to get to with you. We want to sort of continue our recap of UFC fight night, Poirier versus Hooker. And I want to start with John Vellante because you guys go way back. I know you texted me at one point in time that strike force was even higher on this kid than Chris Weidman, that he was all the rage at one point in time. We outlined his football credentials earlier on the show, but your thoughts overall on Vellante and, uh, and this UFC heavyweight debut this past weekend. Yeah, it's funny. You know, when you go back to someone like John Vellante, he was the uh, light heavyweight heavyweight champ in the ring of combat, like we spoke about briefly last weekend. Uh, when Bob Cook called me about Strike Force to fight Chad Griggs on the main card of uh, Fedor versus Bigfoot, that was the start of Vellante's career. Listen, with John Vellante, he obviously did not look like his usual self coming into this fight. I mean, when we talk about going up to heavyweight, when I when I heard he was coming in at 255, I was concerned. Um, only because he already has a big physique. You know, I think he walks around between 230 in that range. So the cut to 205 is still not easy for him. But you see a lot of guys that go up in weight. They still look healthy. Uh, I, I will say John did not look like he put on healthy weight for this fight. Right. You know, and, and you saw during the fight, there was a lot of opportunities to obviously win that second round. The leg kick was coming in, but he wasn't able to follow up with any combos. And those leg kicks were hurting Mo Green. Long story short here, it's really hard to watch a guy like that who was such a highly talented prospect, who's got the wrestling credentials, the athletic background, and the striking. And with and he's got a good team behind him. Keith Trimble's a very good coach. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was exhaustion that got to John. I know that choke was in with Maurice Green, but you got to think, and if you go back and watch that fight, I've watched the whole card a few times. He put every ounce of every part of his meat that he put on into those punches in the third round. Yeah. I think the choke was in, but I also think he he just had enough. I don't know if he was going to be able to make it another two minutes. So it's a sad sight to see without rambling on about this. I think I think heavyweight, though, he could do all right, but that he's got to work on his conditioning, obviously. That was rough. Kenful, a lot of people saw Volante at the stare down and raced to the window to bet on Maurice Green. And they were a minute and 16 seconds away from probably losing all of those bets. I mean, I was getting people texting me every single parlay, Kenny, they were playing that night. You two, Ian, had Maurice Green in there. I mean, you got to be careful betting this sport, you know? Uh, no doubt about it, man. Uh, that was scary for a lot of people who had money uh, on Maurice Green. And listen, I, I thought Volante 
most likely because he didn't come into the uh, to that fight with the best shape, really paced himself very well throughout. I think he was really trying to manage uh, his energy throughout that fight. And again, if he can get back into shape uh, and bring that same kind of awareness on his pacing, I really think he can do some damage in that heavyweight division. I, I really do. Yeah. No, I think you're right. He did pace himself up until those ground strikes in that third and final round. Well, you, you know what was crazy is that I, I, I going into that third round, I was not sure if it was 1-1, you know, but after the fight was over, I saw all the judges had it Mo Green 2-0 going into the third round. So even if that third round was a 10-8, I feel better now. I wish I knew that during the fight. So right. play-wise, I'm yeah. not throwing up to the bucket. But, right. you know, right. it's uh, – to Kenny's point, I think you just hit it on the head. He comes in in better shape. He paces himself. Just a little things. He and he uses that wrestling. You're right. Heavyweight could be something decent for him, maybe. That's interesting to me that the judges had 10-9 for Maurice Green on all three cards. And I do believe, hearing that, that they would have had to be, have been leaning 10-8 Volante at that point in time. Again, just based upon the new language. Uh, all right, a couple other things I want to want to get to. Brendan Allen and Kyle Dawkins. I was so excited about this fight, Ken Flo. And Ian, obviously, we'll get your thoughts as well. Um, because I watched a lot of film on Kyle Dawkins, And he was 9-0. and He was 5-5 five and five as an amateur, right? Competing at like 205 and heavyweight. Undefeated as a pro as a middleweight. And maybe not on the grappling level, Kenny, as the Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, Brendan Allen. But this fight, to me, just had it all. I mean, if you like grappling, if you like fucking elbows, and you like blood, for me, in a lot of respects, Kenny, was the perfect fight. And high-level MMA. These guys were good everywhere, and they brought it. They were aggressive. Um, you know, prior to that Poirier Hooker fight, I said, this is going to be the fight of the night for sure. Right. Uh, it was just amazing. And I tell you what. Before that fight started, I said the winner of this fight could really be the man in the welterweight division. I said, watch out for the whoever wins this fight is going to do big things in the UFC. I might I might say now after watching that fight that both those guys may do some serious damage and right. will be contenders in that division because uh, I was just blown away by their toughness, their skill, uh, their conditioning under these circumstances blown away but those guys are studs man awesome fight i will say a lot of people thought that those lines should have been closer and i said also you know even though brendan allen be the guy like holland uh before this you know Dawkins just kind of had the tools for this level and it showed you know i will say to come out of that uh god now i got distracted because of that message sorry to come out of you know being up 2-0 and getting that elbow to the face for kyle to come out and i think possibly I don't want to say that was a 10-8 round because he didn't do a ton of damage when he had Allen's back, like, at all. Um, but I think he proved his worth for the UFC. I think Kenny's right. He's going to be a force in that division. I think Brendan Allen, uh, he could have dominated that fight more if he wasn't so accepting of the guillotine, you know? In that type of fight, when you're doing so well on your feet and on top to lose position to another grappling guy is a rough play. But, dude, what warriors? Those elbows were filthy. Perfect fight. You said it best. So Kenny, what about the judges, by the yeah, way? So let me uh, ask you this, yeah. Flo. So you saw <laughs> Kyle Dawkins' reaction when he heard that one of the judges had it 30-27. For a second, he thought, oh, shit, I might have won this fight because I know I won the third round, as my daughters saw and everybody else under the age of six or otherwise. <laughs> so I think it was Dave Hagan who was the judge who gave Brendan Allen the third round. And we can have fun with this. But, Kenny, this is about as discouraging as it gets. Because if you can't see that Kyle Dawkins won that third round and you're one of the three scorecards in the world that matters, we got a real problem. As John McCarthy has articulated in the past, there are only eight or ten of these guys who really are elite judges. And respectfully, if Hagan saw round three for Brendan Allen, he can't be one of them. You know, my wife watches fights every once in a while. Um, she got into it way, you know, way after we met or whatever. And she said, how the hell does a judge call that 30-27? I mean, she, she yeah. was completely blown away by that scorecard. So uh, to me, it was just so obvious. You know, how do you, how do you lose a round when you're on somebody's back in a, in a position to submit? Uh, some <laughs> of these judges and scorecards, it's just, it's plain scary. If I was a fighter, man, I'd be like, I give up. I, I I don't know anymore, man. Like, what am I supposed to do? Bring a knife into the octagon to <laughs> well, get the finish? What's going on? That was my you, idea. Knowing you, Kenny, you'd probably be like, fuck, man. I have yeah. to I have to change my style to make sure that I don't – there can't be any more distance fights. It's <laughs> Exactly. It's crazy. It's craziness. The, literally, the most dominant position on the ground, and some judges like – 
Uh, yeah, he lost that fight. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, he lost that round. No, no, no doubt about it. It makes no sense. Uh, but uh, I, again, just just an awesome fight by both men, and uh, these judges got to get their shit together. We need you that just imagine fight drop. For- Can you just imagine going to your corner and being up dominant, ten eights and two rounds? And your coach goes, honestly, kid, you might not be winning this fight because <laughs> exactly. they've just been listening. They're just listening to Bisping yelling for the last two rounds. It's right. It's possible. This is fucking crazy. How? Listen, Brendan Allen wrote on Twitter, if you think I lost that round 10-8, you're a dumb fuck. But he was accepting to say, if you scored at 10-9 against me in the third round, that's understandable. I'm all for that. But how do you get him to... Listen, I don't know where these judges get their credentials. I don't know if it's just like, oh, I'm bored. Like, I want to be an MMA judge. Oh, you're hired. John, you just said that John McCarthy said 10-8. I say we're lucky if we have three consistent, decent judges in the sport. There's too many of these that happen. Right. All right, Ian, before we let you go, I just want to get your thoughts on a couple upsets. Julian Erosa plus 400 over Sean Woodson. Julian Erosa took the fight on Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, And then Kama Worthy over Luis Pena. Now, Pena was without his head coach, Pahumpa, so I do want to point that out. Maybe it's neither here nor there, but he was without his jiu-jitsu coach. Um, Before I turn it over to Kenny, your thoughts on those two dogs cashing this weekend? Look, Julian Arosa coming back for a third time. Um, you know, the amount of damage he took in that fight, the amount of shots, dude's all heart, you know? And it was crazy because he even said that once he felt that power not there, he was willing to take one and give one. And the op- all that Woodson had to do was not put himself in a position to get submitted. And he did just that. Otherwise, that would have been a clean sweep for him. You know, when he dropped Arosa, I mean, listen, good for Julian Arosa, man. Two days notice fighting a guy who's very difficult, rangy, awkward. I mean, listen, the kid's obviously talented, but man, what heart he has. And uh, Kama Worthy better get some fucking respect, man. I I mean, listen, I I said he was the one guy on this card, and I think uh, Violent Bob Ross is a very talented guy, and he's got one of the best nicknames out there. But, you know, it's hard to judge Kama Worthy off that first fight because he landed that one uppercut and it was over. I think he's showing that for this weight class, he is as strong as a fucking ox. He's smart. And I, I listen, dude has got talent and I'm excited to see what they give him next. I mean, it's just unbelievable guys that are this big of underdogs. People just don't respect. He comes out and finishes twice. Good for him. Yeah, Kenny, I, I'm hoping people will put some respect on the name comma worthy out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Every time we sit down to fighter meeting, he talks about the value of his six losses. He lost to Paul Felder, I think, very early on in his career. He was nine and six at one point in time. Now he's 16 and six and he's won seven in a row Two by big underdog in the UFC. I just, I like when veterans sort of uh, come into a fighter meeting and say, I think I can break the young guy and beat the young guy and no one's giving me a shot. And then they actually go out and do it. Absolutely. And you can certainly judge someone's character based on the adversity that they've experienced over the course of their career, the course of their life. Uh, And going from nine to six to where he is now uh, really says a lot about his belief in himself uh, and how he really is working on his game to get better. You can make serious turnarounds uh, in this game. Uh, He is proof of that. Very impressive uh, that he's able to get it done like that. And congrats to all the other winners. Big win for Takashi Sato. Tanner Bozer. Woo. I really like Tanner Bozer at heavyweight. I think there are a lot of favorable matchups for him in the top 15. Moves exceedingly well for heavyweight. Kay Hansen gets a bonus for that armbar on Jin Yu Fry. And, and Yusuf Zalal begins the night. A unanimous decision winner over Jordan Griffin. All right, last thing. Poll question for today's Anakin Florian podcast. UFC 251, 13 days away. Yaz Island, Abu Dhabi. Poll question. There are three championship underdogs July 11th. They are Max Holloway plus 175, Gilbert Drino Burns plus 190, Jose Aldo Jr. plus 190 against Piotr Jan. About 5,000 votes on social media this morning. Got huge response right out of the shoot. Over 50% like Max Holloway as the underdog most likely to come in. And that dovetails with the price. He is the smallest underdog of the three. And then it was 25% for Burns, 23.8% for Jose Aldo. So I'll put it to you, Ian, and then Ken Flo. I know you guys aren't making picks until next Monday, but of the three championship underdogs, are you leaning towards any one of the three right now as we sit here in late June? Yeah. You know what? It's very hard for me to not take a Max Holloway at a plus 180 number here. I think people tend to forget he came back and I think the judges gave him rounds four and five in that fight last time against Alex. Look, Volkanovski's a problem and uh, he figured it out, but to not give Max Holloway the credit, I think he deserves for what he's done up until that point. Who's to say he can't make the changes. The dude 
arguably the best of all time in that weight class, still only 28 years old. He's the oldest 28-year-old I think I've ever met in my entire life. Um, I like Max Holloway still. I think that he could put it together. I think he's got the experience. And sometimes those losses are the best things for guys like that. You know, yeah. we will we will find out if Max Holloway can still, if the blessed era could uh, get back on track. So I think out of all the underdogs, I'd give him the best shot. Ken Flo, Alexander Volkanovsky knew when he was fighting Max Holloway the first time last December that he was going to probably have to beat him twice. Now, I'm not suggesting that Eugene Behrman and the city kickboxing team held some things back necessarily, uh, but they felt like they were going to have to fight this guy twice. And this is a very smart camp. I know a lot of coaches who work from defense to offense, right? If they're preparing for Khabib, as Conan Silvera has said, the one thing I'm starting with is you're not touching my fucking leg. And then they build everything around that. So I'm just asking you about that fight before you give me the underdog that you like the best, because I hear Bilal Muhammad and all these other people say, oh, Holloway's going to make all these adjustments. Did they not think Volko's going to adjust at all? Your thoughts on that fight and ultimately which dog you really like. Absolutely. I was going to chime in on this uh, regardless. Uh, and I know we're running out of time here, but no, absolutely, take time. Vol- Volkanovsky, uh, to me, fought one of the more brilliant championship fights in recent history. Um, I don't think a lot of people gave him a shot in that. Um, I think that in order for Holloway to defeat him, he's going to have to pressure Volkanovsky. He's going to have to come forward way more than he did in that last fight because countering him was not available. Why? Because Volkanovsky was not giving Holloway the opportunity to counter. He was throwing shots on the outside and he was getting the hell out of there. Now, for Holloway to come forward opens up a second layer of offense for Volkanovsky, which comes in the form of the takedown. So now Holloway, who was probably really aware of that takedown and wasn't sure whether to come forward, in order for him to come forward, it's going to open up that second layer for Volkanovsky. So I, I again, I still have, I have Volkanovsky as a favorite heading into this one yet again. Uh, um, again, I, I think Holloway, can he pull it off without a doubt? You, you never count out someone like Holloway with that kind of experience and that championship pedigree. Um, however, I, I think Volkanovsky knowing what he knows now after 25 minutes is going to open some things up. So Gilbert Burns, I think a lot of people like him. Perhaps that is due to the familiarity with Kamara Usman. Uh, And then, of course, Jose Aldo Jr. may be improperly priced, but certainly, for my money, the Russian boxer Piotr Jan deserves to be the favorite. Kenny, if you had to place a bet today on one of the three dogs, you going with Burns, you going with Aldo, you going with Volko, or none of the above? You know, um, the only thing that concerns me with Aldo is the fact that he does have a lot of miles on him. Mm. I would be a little concerned if that fight gets a little bit crazy and, and a brawl starts to kind of uh, materialize. Um, Jan has less miles on him uh, in that regard. And I don't love Aldo taking a lot of shots at 135 pounds. And he has a tendency of getting overly emotional in, in fights that uh, where he starts to get hit, he starts to kind of get a little bit too manly and he makes it about, who the tougher guy is. He doesn't have to play that game. He's the more technical fighter. Now, for um, the Burns and Usman fight, that to me is the most interesting one. I have Gilbert Burns, the underdog, as probably the most probable bet. Now, uh, again, who knows? As yeah. far as breaking yeah. it down, um, Burns knows Usman better than anyone out there. And when you look at that fight where Usman gets paid and where he makes his money is on the ground, he beats the hell out of you. He takes you down and he beats you up. I'm not sure if he wants to take that uh, approach against someone like Gilbert Burns, who he knows is right. going to have the advantage down there. So that changes it. So now what happens there? Now it becomes who is the better striker on the feet? And from what I've seen, right. Burns seems a little bit more capable there. Unless Usman can keep it in the clinch and fight it on that level, um, I, I think Usman could get it done. But for me, I like Gilbert Burns as, as the best underdog there uh, out of those three. Perhaps Kamara would like that 25-footer. He will not have it on Fight Island. Ian Parker will give you the final word. You look like you're chomping at the bit a little bit there. Yeah, I feel like Kenny knows what the, the new updated score is. So he's trying to pick opposite of me in every way, shape, form that he can. He, he's bringing it. Save that energy for next week, bro. But uh, no, look, I, I agree with you um, with the Aldo situation. I also, listen, I, I think Jan's going to be the better boxer there. And I, I'm listen, 135, we, we saw that he did the cut. He looked pretty good against Marlon Marais, but... You know, we also didn't see him take too many real hard shots that Jan can throw. The Usman Burns is such an interesting thing. I think it's the first time that two guys that trained together were so eager to be like, yeah, let's fight for the title. Fuck it. Like, not even a, 
Oh, I love him. He's my brother. I'll never do it. It was like, yo, you're going to go to Colorado. I'll stay here. We cool. Shake Henry move to the side. Let us duke it out. Um, Fight Island. I can't fucking wait. It's going to be sick. I just got to keep adding to that lead. Sorry, Kenny. Yeah. I thought you, you thought you were getting away without some scoring on this bullshit. No way. Well, on Kamar Usman, he's 11 and 0 in the UFC, but he only has one title defense, right? So he's trying to put a George St. Pierre like legacy on paper. And the best way to do that, you defend the belt. And defend I'm it. sure he feels like candidly, he knows Gilbert Burns and he's fucked everybody else up in the UFC. He's barely lost a round. Uh, I don't think Usman's confidence is going to be shaken by the fact that he has had to move to Colorado. But good stuff on 251. We got to get out of here. We're back next Monday. It is a pay-per-view week. Monday, July 6th. We'll have predictions on many fights. I think it's like eight or nine picks for me and Kenny next week. And uh, we will get you ready for UFC 251 as only the Anakin Florian podcast can do. Thanks to Ray Longo, to Ian, of course, Cody Merrow at the controls. Until next week, Anakin Florianpodcast.com, MeraukeeBJJ.com for Flo, for Parker, for Cody. Let's fucking go, yo. <laughs>